Hey, it's Timmy Whispers from Stacey King's Give Me the Hot Sauce podcast. The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track, all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads, ensure you can take on any adventure. I'm planning on going river rafting this weekend, and I'm ready to head out on the trails with all-wheel drive. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Well, we hope you're finding a way to stay cool out there. Record heat in Chicagoland these days, and it has just been like a sauna outside <laughs> walking in my car today, man. I started sweating, just taking a few steps. Stacy joins us from his home, and Tim Kelly is not with us today because, Stacy, it's 100 degrees in Chicago, so Tim decides he's going to fly to Fort Myers. What what guy is going to go to Florida to, fi- to find some warmer summer weather? That's our guy, Tim, right? Only guy that will leave 100 degree heat to go into 105 <laughs> degree heat. Uh, then he says his internet's not working. And I told you, you know, when you yeah. when you don't feed the squirrels nuts and you ask them to run on the treadmill to power up your electricity and your internet, and you don't feed them, they go on strike. Hell no, we won't go. I think I think Tim might have forgot to pay his Xfinity bill because he's complaining about internet and he's saying, well, "I've been on the phone for two hours," and they're probably like, "Sir, we need you to give us your credit card to reactivate your service." <laughs> Yeah, he hadn't been down there in a while, so I, I would probably assume that they probably uh, they probably turned it off. Yeah, that's our guy Tim, the only guy who leaves 100 degrees for 105. So yeah, football season is almost here. Baseball is heading into the stretch run, and we've got a very special guest coming up. This is episode 143 of Give Me the Hot Sauce. We've got Ooh. the Hall of Famer, Artis Gilmore, the A-Train, is going to join us in a few minutes. Boy, what a career he had. I remember watching him playing at Jacksonville. They played UCLA for the national championship back in the early 70s, back when Stacy was a little boy, or actually in diapers probably. But uh, Three. Three? Okay. Three years old. Yeah, but that was that game got so much hype, Stacy, because you know you had Artis Gilmore, and then their power forward was Pembroke Burroughs III, who was another seven-footer, and people had never seen anything like it. You know, this was tiny Jacksonville. They had these wild green uniforms, and it just – it was – it was. It took the nation by storm. They took on mighty John Wooden in UCLA. Yeah, and an artist with the big afro. Yeah, you know, big, just a big, imposing figure. Um, you know, dominant. I mean, he's been dominant since he came. You know, since high school, he was a dominant player, uh, and then that carried over to college. And um, again, gentle giant, one yeah. of the nicest guys you ever meet. You know, former Bull. You know, one of the great Bulls players of all time. His 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 number really should be up in the Raptors. Uh, here in Chicago as well as a retired Hall of Famer. And uh, he put some really good work here in Chicago after coming back from after coming from the ABA. 
Yeah, so we'll talk to Artis in just a few minutes. I'm sure he's got lots of stories about his days at Jacksonville and the ABA, and then, of course, playing at the old Chicago Stadium with the Bulls. I want to start out with something that's really been taken out of life of its own in social media, this ridiculous feud between Lonzo Ball and Stephen A. Smith. Now, it started out with Stephen A. Smith, I believe, on a show on Tuesday, mentioned that he had heard through sources that Lonzo was kind of struggling with his knee rehab. He was even having troubles you know, pushing off a chair to stand up. So Lonzo playfully put a chair by the pool and was just on one leg, his surgically repaired left knee was, was you know, bouncing up and down, you know, just playfully saying to Stephen A., I don't know who your sources are. And he's even mentioned in, in the short clip that he likes Stephen A. And, you know, there's no problems. You just better get some better sources. Then Stephen A. went on his first take show the next day and kind of blasted Lonzo, saying, well, you're not healthy. What does that prove? Then he went on his other show. I don't know if it was podcast or his radio show, and said, well, my sources are your doctors, so don't be questioning me. And, and, and Stacy, I know that you know, it, it's kind of much ado about nothing, but, yeah. but Stephen A. is the, you know, the older person in this, in this little mini feud. He was just embarrassed because Lonzo called him up, and he, and, you know, he just can't take the L. Well, he, he got embarrassed because uh, he also got roasted by social media. Uh, it wasn't just Lonzo. It was everybody uh, because it's really not his place to report that, Mark. I mean, yeah. you, you could say, hey, you know what I'm hearing? You know, I'm hearing out there that he's struggling a little bit, uh, but, you know, he is making some progress. I mean, there's ways you could have you could have done that interview and uh, put that information out. And then when you say his doctors told you, well, where's a HIPAA law? Like doctors can't tell you stuff like that. So, you know, your sources are wrong. So at the end of the day, you know, I was glad to see Lonzo because we haven't seen Lonzo. You know, we haven't seen him since, you know, since he left here. And uh, it's good to see him in good spirits. And, and again, he challenged Stephen A. Smith in, in a fun way. It wasn't like, you know, uh, disrespectful. You know, Stephen A. just was embarrassed. It's like, you know, oh, you got caught your pants pulled down and everybody's laughing at you. So now he's a little upset. We were talking about, we joked about, uh, you know, your your situation and HIPAA violations and all that. But Stephen A oh, yeah. goes on his show and saying, if you want, I'll give you the name of your doctors. And I mean, there's there's no reason for that. I mean, everyone knows no. the Bulls have said, our tourists have said, we don't expect Lonzo to play at all next season. And Stephen yeah. inaccurately said, well, he's going to be out till January. He didn't even have his facts straight because Lonzo and the Bulls have acknowledged he's not playing next season. Well, it's all about takes, Mark, you know, hot takes, you know, getting people to watch the show because there's not really a lot of stuff going on right now. Uh, you know, they're going to bring Shannon Sharp on on their show now right. to give him some juice. Uh, I was watching the show today and, you know, it's funny watching Stephen A. Smith. He always has to trumpet what he does. You know, he always got to make sure everybody knows, you know, what he's accomplished. Oh, you know, my first take has been the number one show for 12 years. And, you know, it's like, okay, man, we don't really, you don't really need to tell that, man. You don't need to sell yourself. Everybody knows people watch your show, um, you know, for whatever reason they watch it. I'm not, I'm not a big fan of it. Uh, they do have some guys coming on that helps them out. Like you, like you like to listen to because they do have some good takes, whether it be NFL, NBA or whatever. Um, when it was just him, and he's screaming and yelling. And man, I'm like, man, I, oh, no, I can't, <laughs> I can't do it. But hey, whatever, whatever sales, you know, that's what I say. Whatever sales, that's what that makes him happy. Go ahead and do it. But he was a little embarrassed about, about Lonzo Ball, man. That, that was, that was good for Lonzo to put yeah. it out there and show everybody that, hey, this guy just making up things and trying to, you know, make some personal takes and trying to, you know, you know, get some uh, clickbaits off of it. And this all started with Lonzo made an appearance on uh, our guy Trey Young. It was a podcast right now, and he had Lonzo as a guest. And Lonzo said, 
Everything's going, you know, according to schedule. I don't expect to play next season, but I'm hopeful that this surgery will, you know, alleviate the condition I had and that maybe I can play in the 24-25 season. So I guess the news overall, even though Bulls fans are tired of waiting, you know, maybe Lonzo will be able to play basketball again. And that's that's what we all want, Stacy. Yeah, I mean, just to see the kid healthy. You know, this this kid... You know, as you go down, you look at, you know, guys like Brandon Roy, who got, you know, career robbed with knee injuries. You know, Derrick Rose, you know, you go down the line, all these guys who had this really, really good talent, uh, their careers were cut short from knee injuries. And so I just hope he gets back. I hope he's healthy. He's a big part of what the Bulls are doing. Business of basketball always goes on, and the Bulls are going to be eligible to offer DeMar DeRozan a contract extension if they so choose in the coming months. Actually, they can do it right now if they want to. I guess the issue is going to be is how many years and what the dollars are, but Mark Eversley you know, at Bulls Fest said that they they want DeMar to be a part of this this thing long term. Do you think they can find a, a halfway ground where both sides can can be happy and DeMar can be be here for a few years? I think he, I think they can. I, I know DeMar likes playing here, likes playing here with the fans. Uh, he's a big reason why the Bulls are successful, and he's a, he's a key key component to the to the big three. So uh, I, I think – I don't know if it's going to be a hometown discount. I don't believe in that kind of stuff. But I think, you know, they'll come across something that's fair for both parties and what can help the team in the future because, you know, you don't want to get into a situation, Mark, where you don't have no money to offer free agents. And then there's that, there's that looming – dark cloud in the background, you know, Giannis, you know, the Greek freak is out there <laughs> saying, I'm not signing with Milwaukee. Right. I need to find out what direction they're going. So that, that right there, if you're, if you're the bulls, you're like, Hey, we got a chance. You know, what, what can we do to, to possibly be in the Giannis sweepstakes? Because he only wants to be on a championship team. And I know people are going, Oh, well, Chicago's not a championship team. Well, if you add him on our roster, it does make us a championship team, no matter who we have on our roster. So um, I think it's important that, uh, you know, I would go out there if I'm AK and Mark, I'm out there finding the brothers. I'm out there offering, <laughs> I'm offering the mother an opportunity to cook some Greek food for lunch and dinner for the team. Uh, whatever it takes to get that kid, man, I'm doing it. Yeah, they had Kostas briefly last year. He's playing with the G League team. So bring Kostas back, the youngest on Tetacumpo. Alex, give him a two-way deal. Uh, the article <laughs> Stacy was referring to was a long feature article in the New York Times. And they mentioned the fact that Giannis is going to be eligible for an extension this summer. He said, I'm not signing this summer. We'll wait and see what happens. And the Bucs, even though they're one of the better teams in the East, Stacey, that's an older team. Uh, Drew Holiday said he only wants to play a couple more years. Uh, Brooke Lopez is 35-36. That thing you know, could unravel pretty quickly if, if they don't find a way to bring in some reinforcements. Well, when your superstar player is, is talking like this, you know, and he's the last person that you would think they'd be talking about free agency or not signing with the team because he's been loyal to Milwaukee. He's been, always said he wanted to play there, stay there. So to hear him start to say that, hey, you know what, if we're not a championship caliber team, I'm going to be looking to go elsewhere. And what better place to come to Chicago? Big city, big market, got a great Greek community. Uh, his brand will blow up along with the Bulls brand. Um, you know, and so he, he'll have opportunities to, to play for a championship. But you add him and then you got the pieces around him. Man, whew, oh, Lord have mercy. And I think Stacey would be willing to kick in free hot sauce for life, right? Oh, honest. yeah, he can have free hot sauce for life. Whatever he wants, he can have it. I don't, hey, listen, if he wanted me, if he wants me in the kitchen trying to learn how to keep, cook Greek food, I'll do it. <laughs> so that's Take one be, for the team. That's going to be a storyline to watch. The other story in the NBA, how about James Harden being fined $100,000 for saying that he doesn't want to be a part of any organization that Daryl Morey is involved with? 
Well, the NBA is getting tired of the players talking, basically. It's come down to that. You know, they told Damian Lillard, hey, enough, or you're going to be fine. Okay. James Harden has been making comments about the Philadelphia 76ers and Daryl Morey about promises and this and that. They couldn't move him. Okay. It's hard to trade James Harden because James Harden is starting to get that, that reputation mark as a guy who's a, a problem. You know, it's like he's been on all these teams. Yeah, he's such a talent and he can score and he can assist and he sees such a, a super talent. But is he worth the headache that he brings, you know, that he brings with them? Because who's to say if he gets to his destiny? Let's say he gets to the Clippers. In two years, they're not winning. And he's like, I got to get out of here. <laughs> he's like, you know, you're leaving every two or three years, man. And, and teams are hesitant to make a, a deal for you when they know you have that tendency to be, you know, unhappy after two seasons. Yeah, a lot of contract situations to watch. Paul George, Kawhi Leonard with the Clippers are extension eligible. They may tell them, no, thank you. This is going to be a crazy a couple of uh, not a couple of months. We only have about a month leading up into training camp. We could see some player movement or at least some guys that are unhappy leading some future trades. Hey, let's switch the focus now and talk about the Bears. Our guy Mark Grody is standing by. He covers the team every day. And Groats, you with us? There he is. I'm here. You hey, guys look yeah. great. Thanks for jumping on. We appreciate it. The big news today is that the starters will play in the preseason finale at Soldier Field against the Buffalo Bills. What's your reaction to that? And and you think that uh, Justin Fields and the offense will be happy to get some snaps? Yeah, I like it. I mean, I was anytime anybody asked me or I had a microphone in front of me, I said that I think the starters and specifically Justin Fields needs to play. You know, I've been saying i've been pretty honest throughout this training camp that the that justin fields has been very up and down and i think average overall in this training camp so to have another opportunity to get out there and go up against a different defense that will give you different looks that has different intentions than your own defense does when they're just practicing in lake forest i think it's really important it's something that that they need to see for sure and Look, I know that there's so many injuries with the offensive line, but the the backups might be the guys that Justin Fields are going to war with when we start this thing for real on September 10th when the Green Bay Packers are here. So I'm really glad they're doing it, uh, and I look forward to it. And also, guys, from an entertainment standpoint, you know, we all, we all love the backup quarterback. I get that, but <laughs> I want to see the first string offense and yeah. defense play. I totally agree. And then we, you know, speaking of the defense, you know, Justin, Justin Edwards, the linebacker, has really looked like he's had a very, very productive uh, camp. Uh, he's had to fill in for injuries, but he he looks like he's he's going to be a guy that's going to be huge on their defense. Talk a little bit about that and expectations for him. Yeah, no, I mean, he's a guy that they brought over to play linebacker from Philadelphia and had like a, about 115 or 150 tackles with the Eagles last year. So, I mean, and you add, you know, TJ Edwards to Tremaine Edmonds and you have, you know, and Edmonds, you know, just has started to be assimilated back in practice from his injury. But you have a couple of guys who are worth 100 tackles plus a year. I mean, every year of Tremaine Edmonds' career, he's had 100 tackles. And that was the position that immediately when free agency opened and we're expecting this massive splash from the Bears because 
they've got all this money and we're thinking, okay, there's going to be a pass rusher coming in, you know, their defensive lineman. And, but no, they were like, let's go get some linebackers. Let's get Tremaine Edwards. Let's get TJ Edwards. They draft Noah Sewell. They have Jack uh, Sanborn coming back as well. So yeah, those are, that's an incredibly important position to Matt Eberflus and what this four, three defense wants to do for sure. Groats, let's get back to that offensive line situation. It's like a war zone now. You know, Tevin Jenkins had the mysterious injury where they said he injured both calves and he could be out until October. We saw last year that that Lucas Patrick at center and Cody Whitehair at guard thing, that, that didn't work out so well. I mean, what are they going to do to patch that up uh, for, for the opener? I mean, you know, they've had some young guys that have looked good in spots, but I'm not a big Lucas Patrick fan at this point in his career right now. Yeah, neither am I, Mark. I, I agree with you. And he probably, like earlier this week, Lucas Patrick, I think it was on Monday. All these days run together for me. But on <laughs> Monday, he was practicing. He has not practiced since then, Lucas Patrick. Wow. So, yeah. So he's the guy that's supposed to fill in at center. He hasn't been out there. So they've had a second year guy. And Doug Kramer, who was drafted out of Illinois last season, when when uh, and I'm just kind of looking up to see where he, he was got a sixth hurt. round he draft pick, yeah, sixth rounder year. for Ryan Poles. He's been centering the the first line almost exclusively over the last several days. So I mean, I love Doug Kramer, and it, but I don't know if he's ready to to run that thing. But probably could be just as effective as Lucas Patrick. To your point, Mark, that he wasn't very good. But then you've got. You've got Jatari Carter, who's been playing a big part all of a sudden on that line. He's another second-year guy. Is he ready? Larry Borum has been playing right tackle for Darnell Wright, the rookie who is out. And Larry Borum's another guy that has not been particularly good when he's had his opportunities. Uh, Luckily, Braxton Jones and Cody Whitehair, the only two projected starters, are healthy. And do you want to risk those guys in the preseason game tomorrow? But you kind of have to. Yeah, get the lookout wow. block ready where they just yell back, look out, Justin, time to run. Yeah. Well, I was, actually, I, I was saying this to somebody yesterday. If if you are a gambling person, and I, I'm just, I delve a little bit into the game, take the over on Justin Fields' rushing yards because he's going to have to run again. Oh, oh, yeah. We all want to see him pass this year, but how the hell is he going to pass when the offensive line is second and third stringers? Yeah, yeah it's like that. It's like when you played when you played Sandlot football, you couldn't sack the quarterback. You had to go 1,001, 1,002, yeah. 1,003, yeah. and then everybody starts bull rushing. That's what it's, that's what it's going to look like this year. And I, and yeah. I, I, really, I really hope they can get that out. I worked that out because they've got so many weapons on the offense they spent you know spent so much time building up the weapons to give this kid someone to throw to and it's going to be a shame you know growth if he can't throw the ball to those guys because he doesn't have time yeah by the way on the sand lot did you get one blitz though we yeah. don't allow for one blitz. You got to yeah. turn off. But yeah, you could blitz and you had to yell. You actually had to yes. yell blitz. Yes, you had blitz. Yeah, that one guy. That yeah. one guy. And it was always it was always the fastest. Game. Right. Right, right. <laughs> uh absolutely. Yeah. I mean, look, DJ Moore, they brought him in here part of the trade when they traded away the first round pick to the Carolina Panthers. Yeah, that that is the biggest positive that I could tell you about from this camp that DJ Moore has been everything that we expected in terms of training camp, the pre obviously the first preseason game when he takes that pass from behind the line of scrimmage and takes it into the end zone for the touchdown. That was so symbolic of wow. Justin Fields has an actual playmaker. 
Chase Claypool has not been healthy for a while since he had that hamstring injury a few weeks ago, but I'm expecting big things from him. Before he went down, he was having, I thought, a terrific camp. And, you know, he told me last year in the locker room, you know, when he was having a bad year, he said, look, I need OTAs. I need camp. I need to be there from the beginning. And when we saw him in there, he was very effective. You also have uh, Darnell Mooney healthy, who missed the last five games of the season last year, and then a pretty potent running backs room as well. So, yeah, the weapons are a little bit more real this year for the Bears, for sure. What's the deal with uh, with injuries? I know that there are NFL guidelines, but Flus is so tight lipped about guys getting hurt. It's just it just drives you crazy. I mean. You know, you had Cole Komet was was went back on a cart from the indoor facility back to the main Hallis Hall, and then he's practicing the next day. Darnell Wright turns an ankle, no information. We don't know if it's an ankle. You know, I mean, I, I know that they're not obligated until week one to put out an injury report, but do you think they're really helping anybody by being so secretive about these injuries? I mean, I, mean, I guess in some cases I can understand, but for the most part, Mark, yeah, it's very frustrating. And I, I got to tell you, I mean, Matt Eberflus seems to, I don't know if revel in it is the right word, but he's very confident in not telling us until, I think, as, as he said, September 6th is when they start to be required to release an injury report. So it does get really frustrating. You know, like we got like a three or four word answer today on Darnell Wright, one of the most important rookies and players on this team because he's projected to be a right tackle. And, you know, we got a non-answer. You know, that what what they told us or what Matt Eberflus told us is that if it's a more serious injury, they would add details. Now, they kind of did that with Tevin Jenkins saying that his injury has gone from day to day to week to week. But there's been guys like Chase Claypool, I mentioned, Jaquan Brisker, um, Eddie Jackson, who these guys have been out for weeks now, and we're not, we're still not getting updates on them. When we do ask the question, he continues to say that these are not serious injuries. So I guess, I guess you have to have a little bit of trust until they tell us something differently. But yeah, Mark, it's, it's very frustrating. You know, one of, one of the things that's so important on the defensive end is you got to have a good front four that can put pressure on the quarterback. And then that makes your defensive backs look really good because there's a lot of man-to-man coverage. They can flow to the ball. How good, how good if the Bears' safeties are healthy, Eddie Jackson and Jaquan Brisker, how good can they be if healthy? Yeah, I mean, those guys are super talented. Eddie Jackson, they, they do love, to, to Eddie Jackson's credit, being in a new regime, he's one of the guys – that this coaching staff particularly likes. So Eddie Jackson can definitely thrive in this defense. I'm really looking forward to seeing Jaquan Brisker because he had a good year last year. I don't think he had a yeah. good year. Good for a rookie, and you can tell his arrow is pointed up. Um, so And there, there's definitely leadership skills where he's involved as well. So I, I can't wait to see him. And then to your point, too, about the, you know, the, the guys on the defensive line, I can't tell you how many times last year – Jalen Johnson, the one of the Bears' best cornerback, would talk about how when they got good pressure, that it made life so much easier for the secondary. Now, you know, that's going to be interesting this year. And I think some of it is going to depend on, and, th- and these are two guys that we should all keep a close eye on on Saturday. And those are the two young defensive linemen that they drafted, Javon Dexter in the second round out of Florida, and then Zach Pickens in the third round out of South Carolina. The faster these two guys come along and start to get that push uh, towards the quarterback, that's going to be incredibly important. Um, you know, you have Justin Jones coming back at the three technique this year. 
um, obviously on the ends. Hopefully, Demarcus Walker is eventually healthy. And then the guy, the the big splash signing that they made with Yannick Ngakwe, usually good for about 10 sacks per year. So I'm looking forward to that. And those guys, look, those the secondary, the safeties that you mentioned, Stacey, those guys were, like I said, very good last year, although Eddie got injured towards the end of the year. I would love to see how good those guys can be with a potent defensive line and obviously the linebackers that we talked about. Yeah. yeah, so after this game on Saturday, you've got two weeks to wait until the opener. That gives them a lot of time to finalize the roster. There's some crazy rumors out there that the Bears might be interested in Jonathan Taylor, which makes no sense. I mean, if you're going to make a trade for a disgruntled veteran, why don't you get Chris Jones from the, from the Chiefs? <laughs> There's a guy that could really make an impact on your football team. Is there any validity to any of this stuff, or is it just people throwing stuff at the wall? Uh, I, the, the answer is I don't know, because I have not been able to confirm anything myself. Obviously, if he did join the Bears and disgruntled would be a good word. Why do you want a disgruntled guy on your team unless they somehow were to to make him happy? He Obviously, he would become the best running back on the team. I guess what worries me a little bit is and maybe not worries. Maybe that's, that's not the right word. If they're if they're, they're very um, concerned about running backs. They're very into running backs because I think that they feel like if Justin Fields is not the passer that we think he can be, you've got to make that the identity of your team. And I guess the reason that I say it's it's unfortunate is because nobody really wants the identity of the Chicago Bears to keep on being running the football. Look, we've seen that act, and it only gets you so far in this NFL. You want a guy in Justin Fields who can use his arm – to get the ball down the field. So it it makes sense. I mean, it's a very talented running back, but it just got the wheels spinning for me. Like they really are leaning on the running game this year. It makes sense, but it makes me wonder how much faith they have in the passing game from Justin Fields. And I know it's still early on Ryan Poles, but it, it seems to me that he's going in the right direction and building the team and changing the culture from within deep. You know, not just topical, but he's really trying to start from ground level up and build this team the way he wants it. Do you get that same impression? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I, I have liked a lot of the moves that Ryan Poles has made. I mean, he's not hit on everything and the jury is still out in a big way when it comes to his personnel. I and mean, we'll see. We're going to we're going to these players are cooking now. We'll see if uh, a lot of them sprout. But to your point. You know, last year, as painful as it was, you know, the, Ryan Poles tore the team down and, and you know, started to bring in kind of rank-and-file players, but it's a rebuild. It's a classic rebuild, and some credit should be given to, you know, Ryan Poles' bosses um, and, and George McCaskey, who allowed him to do that. He was allowed to be put in a situation where the Bears lost 10 straight games. But, yeah, I mean, he does seem to have a, a good eye. He's he's transparent with his players. He's transparent with the media to a certain point or to a higher point than his predecessor, Ryan Pace, was. But I, I am starting to like his vision. And we mentioned, like, I was thinking about this today, actually, as it, as it pertains to Ryan Poles. You know, the the drafting of Braxton Jones last year in the fifth round and to have had that guy play left tackle in 17 games last year and to have Braxton Jones be one of the 
the the only healthy offensive lineman this year. If Braxton Jones improves just a little bit this year, and I, I've been skeptical, but if he improves a little bit this year, that is a that is a golden find of a of a draft pick. That is vision. Hey, if if Jatari Carter, if he comes out and and he really plays, I mean, this is a a center from Southern in the seventh round, and he's all of a sudden playing right guard. If if they've got something in him, that's huge. Same with Doug Kramer. And then I yeah, I start to think, man, this guy who who played offensive line, I get it, but playing and evaluating is, are two totally different things. If he gets these guys right. Like that is that is something drafting these yeah. offensive linemen in the middle and later rounds. Well, Mark, uh, keep up the good work. I know you'll be following all the roster moves next week. We'll look forward to checking in with you on that. You can follow Mark's great work on the score. You hear him uh, evenings with uh, Gabe Ramirez. You hear him all throughout day parts on different shows and does outstanding work. We're, we're just lucky yes, to have him here with the Give Me the Hot Sauce podcast. So, Groats, thanks a lot. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks, guys. I appreciate you guys having me on. We'll talk to you next week. Yes, sir. Mark Rohde filling us in on the Bears. Up next, it's the Hall of Famer, Artis Gilmore, with stories. A-Train. Yeah, we can't wait to check in with the A-Train. That's next on Give Me the Hot Sauce. I'll tell you what, we got a special treat now for NBA Bulls fans of a certain age. The A-Train, the Hall of Famer, Artis Gilmore, is our special guest, joining us from his home in Jacksonville. And I, I guess that's a good place to start the story, Artis. You burst onto the national scene playing in the 1970 National Championship game against John Wooden's UCLA Bruins. And, and that Jacksonville team really captured the nation by storm. Everyone was uh, cheering for the underdog team and, and just uh, really captivated by the squad that you had. When you look back on, on those memories of your days at Jacksonville, what stands out the most? Well, uh, 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 Mark, I, you know, I would, if you put in any special category, it would have to be uh, playing against UCLA in the finals for a national championship. And I think now, even to this day, Jacksonville University is the smallest university to ever compete for a national championship. So, uh, Anything in particular that would be a special moment for me and, and, and my memories. That's awesome. That's awesome. Now, okay, so this is – I'm a big fan of the A-Train, okay? I remember watching the big Afro and just how you dominated guys. And, you know, we talked about this the other day. It's like, you to me, I don't feel like you get the credit that you deserve as being one of the the, the best big men in the game. You know, I think they discredit because you were in the ABA artists and they kind of like discredit that. They don't understand you're a rookie of the year and MVP of that that league with that had Dr. J, Dan Issel, had Hall of Famers in that league. And as a matter of fact, people would argue that the ABA was better than the NBA at that time. And it just that baffles me how 11-time All-Star counting NBA and ABA in your 18 career, 18-year career doesn't get the respect that he deserves from, from his peers. Well, well Stacy, um, there's a combination of things there. You're right about the ABA initially starting the ABA. Uh, the NBA uh, sort of discredited because of the competition between the two. And uh, and just another combination, you know, I was never really a verbal person that really makes a lot of noise. You know, I thought 
my noise was made by my performance on the floor or on the court. So you're right for the most part uh, that I feel like uh, part of that that recognition thing comes from uh, not being basically the verbal person, you know, just like you hear, you know, some of these, these other wagons, they makes a lot of noise. And so they <laughs> verbally, you know, those are the ones that gets the attention. And, and uh, of course I've never been that. You won a championship in the ABA. You were an MVP and, and Stacy was telling the story so many great players during that era, but they didn't get the exposure because there wasn't a national TV contract where where, play, where viewers could get a chance to watch that. What was the style of basketball like in the ABA for people who haven't seen it? How would you best describe the, the, the way it was played? Because obviously the three-point shot started in the ABA. Uh, uh, that's true, true Mark. Uh, you know, one of the things uh, that there was a, a tremendous amount of action and excitement, you know, except for the uh, the colorful basketball, the NBA yeah. adopted all those rules. And you talk about the uh, the last All Star game that was uh, uh, before the merger came about, and um, that was the creation of the slam dunk, the sh- three point shootout, and those type things that was really exciting. Didn't you know? Uh, we think that we had a really exciting brand of basketball. We was running and, and they talked about the NBA had 24 seconds and the guy just pound the ball and push it and uh, try to get it into the big guy. And, you know, you had guys like Oscar Robinson who was sh- great shooters and physical players, great players. Uh, but, uh, you know, they, they just talked about, you know, especially uh, Really, a credit to Jack to Chicago Bulls when they had uh, Norm Van Leer, Jerry Sloan, and those type guys. They were really physical, and you know that three point play kind of really uh, uh, was not available to those guys. And uh, and and in a sense, they said that the NBA was uh, not an exciting brand of basketball during that time. Yeah, that, that's to me, I mean, when you look at some of the players that, that played in the ABA, I mean, these guys are Hall of Famers now in the NBA. I mean, you got like guys like Rick Barry, you know, you got George Gervin, Dr. J. You came in as a rookie with Dr. J. And I mean, there was so much talent in the ABA. Uh, yeah, yeah, Moses Malone. Moses yeah, Malone, Louis Dampier. Yeah. I mean, you had some yeah, really, just... oh my goodness. I mean, Charlie Scott, uh, George McGinnis. I mean, there was so much talent in the ABA. You could argue guys had just as much talent as most of the NBA teams in at that time. And so when you see how you guys have revolutionized the game, they've given you guys credit for the three-point line, the slam dunk contest. You guys were were really credited for that. But to not credit you for your time played there and what you accomplished when you played there, I think that's a discredit. Regardless of the beefs that the NBA had back then, realistically, when you look at the stats that you guys put up, you got to honor those stats. Those were those were amazing stats. I mean, you you were a five time All Star your first five years there, and there's and when you look at the talent there, how can that not be recognized? Well, uh, Stacy, that that's good and really nice the way you expressed it. But you know, uh, I uh, 
I don't have any resentments because I have not received that kind of recognition. But um, I, I think probably if I would have, you know, I would probably be able to purchase a couple of extra loaves of bread to put in my house. <laughs> 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 but, uh, but I, you know, I'm really uh, happy and amazed at the statistics that I was able to put up and, and uh, what little recognition, especially, you know, making it to the hall, becoming a, a hall of famer after extraordinary amount of years I was inducted. But uh, those things kind of uh, has a significant meaning to be able, you know, my family to be there and part of it. And, and at that time, I had a couple of really young grandbabies uh, that was there as well. You know, so that that was uh, another part of the history that had a significant meaning to me and an impact uh, long term that, you know, I, I made it to the pinnacle, which is uh, the Hall of Fame. Of course, back in the uh, mid-70s, the ABA and the NBA merged. Uh, the NBA took four of the ABA franchises. The rest of the players went into a pool for the dispersal draft. You were the first pick by the Chicago Bulls that went on to play six seasons there. Artists, I, I did uh, the Bulls pre- and post-game shows on TV with Norm Van Leer for a number of years, God rest his soul. And, and, and he, he always talked about that 77 season. He thought, you know, if, if we had gotten by Portland, we might have gone all the way. What, what, what are your recollections of that? Well, uh, that we had a, a decision to make and, and we uh, was able to uh, put the ball in play against Portland. And, and I was uh, speaking to Bill Walton just not too long about that particular game. And uh, the, uh, their three best players had filed out of the game. You know, Walton, Amaris Lucas, and Dave Twasik. Right. And so, yeah. you know, uh, and we had a few seconds left on the clock. And, and and I think we talked about trying to get the ball into me and and make a decision. But we ended up passing the move the ball around. And I, I don't know exactly what happened, but we ended up having a, a perimeter shot that did not go in. And as a result, you know, uh, Portland was able to take advantage of that and move forward. And they took care of everybody else, and, and especially the favorite team to win at that time was uh, uh, Julius Servin and uh, uh, his team in Philadelphia, uh, Daryl Dawkins and those individuals. But uh, Stacy, to tell you and, and and Mark that it was uh, a, a really nice run. <laughs> you, you imagine it was only a three game series, yeah, and best we, of three. you know, yeah. We started first in Portland, won, uh, they won, and then we came, flew all the way back to Chicago to play one game. We won that game, and then flew back to Portland for the for the third for the third game and and the deciding game, which so Portland was able to take advantage of. When you when you look at today's game, artists and, and see how it's up tempo, a lot of three point shooting. The big man now no longer is a low post guy. He's more a perimeter shooting big. What was it like seeing a guy like Jokic get back to dominating and being a low post presence? Cause now you see teams starting to load up to go against him this year. They're getting more depth at the center spot because he's so talented and so big. Talk a little bit about that. Well, Jokovic, he is a, a brand new and, and, and the game, 
Stacy, as we know it, and from the time that I played, is and it's it's about a, an evolutionary process and and all. And as so I think back in the early years before me, you know, guys like Bob Cousy taking the two handed set shot like the, uh, but the evolutionary part of the game has moved forward. And one of the things that was sort of crazy whenever when I played. Uh, there was the, the players didn't have the kind of luxury that the uh, young players today, uh, uh, Stefan Curry, for an example, and I'll come back to him. But the fact is, when we played, guys took a couple of shots. And if you missed two shots, you know, there was a hook over there on the side of the, <laughs> the, the, uh, the coach right next to the coach. He's looking at you and you're looking over your shoulder with that fear. But, you know, coming back to Stefan, I mean, he missed nine shots in a row, but he's still relaxed. And it's about continuing to build that confidence. And I, I guess, uh, you know, that would credit credit that to the evolutionary part of the game itself. And what uh, what has really happened is for, and brought about this kind of excitement. You said uh, uh, guys like Stefan shooting uh, three-pointers, man, they shoot half court. <laughs> You know, yeah, they <laughs> yeah. shot from half court and, and very comfortable with them. So, uh, uh, and, and I remember the first time that I, I I watched a player that was able to take an incredible range from behind the three point play, the three point arc was uh, Reggie, you know, uh, uh, Reggie Miller. In, in fact, uh, we his rookie year we played uh, in in Chicago, and uh, Reggie Theus was defending against. Uh, um, we had scored a point. We was up by like one point or so, uh, two points, and at the last few seconds, Reggie Miller took the ball and stepped back. You know, a couple of feet <laughs> behind the three point lane, lane and. And our guys were just kind of caught standing there, and he just dropped it and knocked it down. And then uh, they were able to take home uh, that win against the Bulls in his rookie year. Yeah, I think some people uh, don't realize that you had two separate stints with the Bulls. You played from 76 to 82. Then you had some great years in San Antonio. You come back to play for the Bulls in 1987, and they got a cat named Michael Jordan who's leading the league in scoring. What was that like for you? You know, here you are. You know, towards the end of your career, a guy that was a low post scorer and a dominant low post player, and you see the way the fans gravitated to Michael. He was really an international phenomenon. What was that like for you at the latter part of your career to see Michael Jordan uh, captivating the NBA universe? Oh, I mean, it was just phenomenal. And and just the workouts with uh, um, Michael and, and, of course, Stacey can verify this type of work. Intensity and his uh, uh, mental focus towards uh, uh, just accomplishing, uh, you know, being being an accomplished basketball player, and he was able to, and he worked hard every day, and uh, th- that was, uh, 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 a, you know, like a a virus. It spread it. You know, everybody was into it. They bought into, you know, working hard, and and in those early years, it was really a challenge. For for Michael trying to get uh, past uh, uh, the Detroit, but and and I felt that I could have been a positive impact, but apparently I don't know that why that didn't work out. I ended up being in Boston, 
you know, for the second half of that year. And, uh, but uh, it was great. It was really, really nice and, and you know, a, a pleasant part of my career being able to play with Michael. You know what? A lot of people don't know, you know, when they see like how we travel, you know, the travel today is totally different than yeah. when you were playing. Talk a little bit about what it was like being an NBA player in the 70s and early 80s and the travel and the things that you had to do, uh, you know, to get ready for games compared to what we uh, have to yeah. see today. <clears throat> uh, Stacy, just to give you an example, we played, uh, uh, well, after the great part of being in Chicago, uh, the one positive thing, you could get a direct flight from uh, <clears throat> from O'Hare to basically any destination that uh, we played, uh, location where we played. But uh, now, to give you an example, when I played in San Antonio, we would uh, uh, catch a – say, for an example, we played and going to have a game in Utah the next night. We play a game in San Antonio. And the route to get to uh, Utah, first we would fly either to Dallas or Houston, and then we would fly from there to Denver. Oh, wow. And then over to Utah, play that night, and make that same run, returning back, and then having to play a third, uh, you know, uh, three games in three nights in different locations. So, you know, Absolutely a difference now that, uh, what the uh, the players have and you know what has happened to uh, create uh, uh, a comfort for the players and you know and not wear them out as uh, you know as uh, within travel. So I, I remember when I was with with uh, Boston and Detroit, they were the first team to have access to that private transportation. And so uh, whenever they came to Boston and they played uh, the, the coach uh, daily, one of the things he said, man, it, it's like a five game. I mean, different swing is for it positive. You yes. know, you being able to sleep in your own bed, you go up and play. And they had the, one of those big planes, those old planes, and that thing just popping, cracking, you know, as it, <laughs> as it uh, depart from the airport. Well, I mean, with the technology back in the 80s, then it was not like it is today. But uh, that allowed uh, Detroit to come in and late at night, you know, Logan Airport, and all of a sudden, you know, this plane taking off really late, uh, the the uh the citizens, you know, and the, and the community didn't uh, didn't enjoy that loud playing as it depart. But it was it was great for the the Pistons for them to allow them to be able to get back home. And I remember Larry Bird said that after I had left the Celtics, he said, "Man, you know what was really great that we was able to go over and play in Minnesota, play the." Uh, uh, the Minnesota Tim- Timberwolves, and I could be back in my house b- by twelve o'clock that night yeah. and get in my own bed. Yeah. And so that those things had a significant had a significant impact on on the game itself, and, and allow you know uh, the fans to be able to watch the best performance they could you know observe, 
with the, from these very talented young players, uh, players in the league, and not exhausted old tired, tired guys, you know, just getting off a long road trip and 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 dragging into the to the arena trying to get themselves ready to play. You know, during your career, that was really the golden era of the big man, and you played against all the greats. You know, you think about Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. You mentioned Bill Walton, Moses Malone, Robert Parrish, going back to guys like Bob Lanier. Uh, who, who was the toughest guy that you had to go up against uh, in your career, Artis? You know, Mark, everybody was ready to play. You know, you talk about Dave Collins. All those guys yeah. created different problems for me. You know, on the perimeter, even, you know, Dan Issel, when I had to compete against him I, for so many years, we were teammates with the Kentucky Colonels. And then, you know, his departure going to the uh, Denver, he was able to elevate the Denver, uh, the Nuggets. And so uh, I would say it was really, really an incredible challenge playing against uh, uh, Kareem. You know, it probably one of the toughest. But, you know, the most important thing for me, you know, I said, well, if Kareem is a great offensive player, uh, give me the ball so I can make him work on the defensive end. And I'll allow him just that luxury of me having to challenge him on the offensive end of the floor. So uh, uh, these, all of those individuals poses different challenges for me uh, during those really, really uh, tough battles. Uh, and and Bill Walton, you mentioned him. He was just an incredible, talented player. Talk a little bit about your time here in Chicago. I, I consider Chicago the best city, NBA city. Uh, and, I mean, there's always something to do, great restaurants, great food. The fans are, are super loyal. Talk about your, your time here in Chicago during the 80s and, and what it was like being in this city and being arguably the biggest star on the Bulls team at that time. Uh, yeah, in the seventies and the early eighties, um, and and that's one of the things that you know uh, we had some. Uh, you, you mentioned that pool of dispersal uh, that I was first player picked by. Uh, I remember the Bulls only won twenty four games that year, and and uh, when I was brought to Chicago, and the the other great great player was Scott May who was yeah. uh, on the undefeated team and <clears throat> and at the uh, with the Indiana University of Indiana and uh uh Scott was end up being very ill for uh, had some problem for three different years you know he had both his knee operated first he had mono then next yeah. year he had uh, surgery on one knee and then the following year he had surgery on the other knee so Scott had a, a, a very difficult time uh, walking on the floor as a healthy player, uh, you know, his uh, his early years. And he was, you know, he and I was going to be the combination that was probably going to make would make a difference. But then we end up uh, in, in a situation where we were liking uh, some uh, depth. And, and the Bulls, apparently, they, you know, they were not in a in a position where they you know exact knew exactly had people working in, in basketball that would uh, be able to put those combinations together. So uh, I, I think because of that, we really struggled over the years. 
Well, artists, we're, uh, we're admiring the photo over your shoulder. you got a beautiful family. I know you're still doing some uh, broadcast work in, in Jacksonville. Uh, you've made that a lifelong home. Uh, maybe you could, uh, before we let you go, talk about what you're doing now and, and you know, the, the great family that you have. Yeah, uh, this picture up here is my wife and daughter, and this particular daughter, I lost her a couple of years ago, and she's got, uh, we, she gave me uh, three grandkids, and uh, the set of twins is uh, 13 years old, and uh, uh, and the little boy is nine years old. Uh, and uh, beyond that, I'm working at Jackson at the university, and and I I, I really enjoy working as an analyst uh, on the uh, radio with the partner. I've been there for, you know, probably 10, 15, 10 years. Mm -hmm. And each year it's kind of a learning process for me because I never really had that experience of uh, being uh, an analyst and, and broadcasting. But uh, it, it's been a learning process and I've thoroughly enjoyed. And um, I was going to call the Bulls up in, in Stacy you and Mark and find out if they could uh, help me find some additional work. <laughs> yeah, I'll tell you what, if one of your guys gets hot from the three-point line, I think Stacy will let you borrow his trademark line, which of course is, give me the hot sauce. So if somebody heats up the three-point line, you can borrow that from Stacy. Yeah, okay. you, you, you can take whatever you want, artist. Hey, man, I, I idolize you, my man. You're a Bulls legend here, and hopefully one day they put your, your number up in the rafters where it deserves, where it deserves to be. Uh, thank you very much, Stacy. Mark. Artist, it was great catching up with you. Uh, best of luck. Enjoy yourself down in Jacksonville. And I know all Bulls fans have fond memories of those teams uh, with Storm and Norm and, and those great crew in the, in the mid-70s. So thanks again for joining us on Gimme the Hot Sauce. Great catching up with the Hall of Famer artist Gilmore. We've been having so much fun. Uh, we haven't been able to tell you about some of our great sponsors, starting with our good buddy Jeff Vukovic. When it comes to insurance for your auto, home, and business, make sure you contact the king of insurance, our friend, nationwide agent Jeff Vukovic. You can reach him at jeffvuk.com. That's jeffvuk.com. The phone number, 847-825-4783. Also has the best jingle in the business. Stacy's getting ready for another season of Bulls basketball. Stacy, how are the Golden Pipes today? Nationwide is on your side. <laughs> there we go. They're good, Mark. They're yeah. good, baby. We could have, we could have had artists uh, provide a little bass too to that. Uh, you know, yeah, he's he got could, the hey, deep pipes. Hey, you got the deep voice. Give him a tambourine. He's straight. <laughs> and you mentioned the fact that um, all of our guests receive a four pack of your signature hot sauces. And if you're looking for the hottest sauce in the game. We've got it for you. We've got all the sauce your kitchen needs from Chicago Fire 1871, the hottest of the bunch, to our King's favorite, St. Pat's Verde. Give me the hot sauce has got you covered. Available in all Jewel Osco stores in the Chicagoland area. But if you live outside of Chicagoland, and we know we've got fans all over the world, stop by gimmethehotsauce.com. Use the code KING21 to get 21% off your first order. And even though uh, Tim has gone AWOL when he gets back from his little mini vacation uh, in Florida, he'll be back in his closet packing up that hot sauce, right, Stacey? Oh, packing up that hot sauce. <laughs> that hot sauce the packer. Hell of a packer. And we're sorry that we don't, neither one of us uh, do a Christopher Walken impersonation, but no, uh, we'll, we'll, no. we'll make sure that, uh, that Timmy gives you a little bit extra next Or week. Tyson. 
No, <laughs> no, we don't. <laughs> no, we don't do that. No, Tyson gets no play. We don't do that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So we're we're missing Tim. So he's he could have been suffering with the heat in Chicago. Instead, he did a two and a half hour flight to Fort Myers to sweat down there. Hey, uh, speaking of hot, the Chicago Cubs are hot. They've won the last two series against the Kansas City Royals and the Tigers. They got a four game series coming up against the Pittsburgh Pirates. And Stacy, right now. They are tied for second in the wild card race with the Cincinnati Reds. The top three in that race will go on to the postseason. It's been interesting to watch them. You know that uh, Cody Bellinger has been a revelation. He's playing like the MVP he was in his Dodgers years. If they can get enough starting pitching down the stretch, I think they can make it to the postseason. What's your read on the Cubs? Well, that's what we've been talking about. I mean, it's going to be pitching for them. You know, they're hitting the ball. Guys are starting to step up now, and they're, they're starting to get hot at the right time. It's just, it's the pitching, you know, are they going to, you know, what are they going to do, you know, as they go around, are the relievers going to have to step up and pitch longer innings and, and get more innings out of those guys? Um, Stroman, you know, what, what's the situation with him? You know, I mean, uh, do they, do they go out and try to do something, you know, before all this, before it all happens? I don't know. I mean, yeah, at this I, point, I they may have yeah. to go to their minor leagues to try to bring up a start. Yeah. You got to do something, man. You, you, and give those kids, even if you got to do that, Mark, you got to go that route. Give those kids some innings right now. Like, give them some innings, you know, give them some innings so they can get some work in. Uh, and not just bring them up for the playoffs or, or situation where the, the situation may be too big for them. You know what I'm saying? Give them some opportunities, bring some guys up, pitch, and then let's see what happens. Yeah, right now they've got a number of guys on their staff who would you, you know, you put them in the category of soft tossers. You got Kyle Hendricks, who's always won with uh, less than stellar velocity and then drew smiley's been getting hit hard the left-hander in the rotation and you're never sure what you're going to get from Jamison tyone so you know they're, they're really in a situation where they may have to go dip into that minor league pool on september 1st the roster is going to expand to 28 so maybe they can bring up a couple of pitchers who can help them on the stretch run the other side of town stacy was where the big news was in the past week jerry Ooh. reinsdorf decided to clean house in the front office letting kenny williams and Rick Hahn go, and now there have been reports that he might stay in-house and bring their farm director, Chris Getz, who used to be an infielder for the White Sox, let him call the shots. So, you know, nothing but, you know, turmoil on the south side, and, and it's it really was a move that was anti-Jerry, because normally he's extremely loyal with his front offices, and he just decided that this season has been, you know, such a disappointment that they had to make a change because Kenny's been here almost 30 years and Rick Hahn about 20. Well, and that's one thing about uh, you know Jerry. He's very loyal to his his people. You know, if you if you're working for Jerry, you you can go ahead and get ready to work 25, 30 years if you want. You know what I'm saying? Because he's loyal to his employees. But at some point, you've got to you know you got to start looking at performance. You know, this is a team. You know, last three or four years, you know, people have thought this team had enough talent to challenge. You know, to get to the World Series, win a pennant. But for whatever reason, injuries. You know, guys getting hurt at the wrong time. Um, guys missing a lot of games, you know, um, you know, turmoil in the locker room. You're starting to find out there's turmoil in the locker room. You can't have that. You know, you can't have that. There's got to be some changes and it'll be interesting to see what they do with the manager. Yeah. Pedro do they feel comfortable. Yeah. Do they feel comfortable with him going forward or, or is he going to be on a short leash, uh, you know, next season? Yeah, he's got a couple more years left on his contract, and there's been some talk that they don't really want to eat those last two years and bring in a new manager. But if you do decide to bring in 
a president of baseball operations from outside the organization, you know, much like they did with the Bulls when they brought in AK, you know, he went out and got the best manager or the coach he could find in Billy Donovan. And they may give a new GM the same kind of freedom to say, you know, if, if Pedro Grafol's not your guy, go ahead and hire the manager you think is best for the team. Because at some point, you know, you have to consider the long-term future of the franchise because, you know, there's been reports that, Reinsdorf has been looking at other locations. They might want a new stadium. I mean, there's there's so many angles on this story, Stacey. You, you know, you could talk about it for hours, but I, I think it, it's just going to be interesting to see what happens in the offseason, what direction the White Sox go. Yeah, I mean, there, there's so many different, you know, storylines here, you know. So uh, at the end of the day, you know, it comes down to winning. And as, you know, what Jerry did with AK and Mark Eversley, hired outside the Bulls organization, brought in, you know, two guys from different places and said, here, here's the keys, whatever you need, go do what you got to do, trade picks, do whatever you got to do to make it a winner. And I'm sure that Jerry, because he loves the White Sox, he wants to win a World Series. Yeah. I mean, he, he's not in it to not win the World Series and just collect, you know, checks. He wants to win a World Series. That's The White Sox is his baby. You know, I guarantee if you ask him, if you had to take, you, you can only have one, the Bulls or the White Sox. I guarantee you take the White Sox. Yeah, I'll never Guaranteed. forget covering that 05 championship when Paul Canerco gave him that baseball from the last out of the World Series. The look on Jerry's face, I've never seen him smile ear to ear like that. Baseball is truly his favorite sport. Yeah, I and, mean, you know, you just got to you just got to put – I mean, listen, Kenny Williams has been there for a long time. And, you know, sometimes you got to get a different voice in there, got to get different eyes in there. Uh, and, that, and then, you know, as much as it hurts, you know, because he's been loyal to Kenny. You know, there's been other times where if you think about Kenny's track record – you know, before the World Series and even after the World Series, you could, you know, you could have fired them then, you know, but they didn't, you know. And so they just got to regroup, get the right people in the right places and then, you know, get refocused on where they're trying to go. And, and they got to clean up the locker room. You got to find out which guys want to be there, which guys are there to play baseball and win championships and which guys are, are here just to collect the check. And once you find that out, then you move forward. Another big story on the baseball beat. We just found this out uh, late on Wednesday night. Shohei Otani, who's uh, ready for free agency, they discovered that he has another tear of the ulnar collateral ligament in his elbow, which usually means a major Tommy John procedure and that he wouldn't pitch at all next year in 2024. And Shohei's already had that done once on that elbow back in 2018. So now he's heading into free agency. People were saying he might be getting $600, $700 million. That's certainly going to... Uh, reduce what some teams willing to pay. And I know that the Cubs were a team that were going to consider making a serious offer for Otani. Some team will still give him a lot of money, Stacy, but I think they may be finding out that maybe uh, the body is not meant to do both of these things at the same time. Well, and, and, and Mark, I mean, they're really, they're really putting a lot of pressure on this kid. Uh, this kid is one of the best pitchers in the game and he's one of the best hitters. And there's, there's times Mark where He's pitching, you know, one night and then turning around and being a DH the next night. You know, that's a lot of stress on that kid. Um, and I, I hope he didn't have to have Tommy John surgery because what you're seeing him do is modern day Babe Ruth. You're not going to see anybody else do this. You'll never see it again in our lifetime. A guy that can come in and pitch and be dominant and a guy that can be a hitter and be dominant. Not just come up there and pitch and be average, Mark, where your ERA is high or being a hitter that's batting around 200. This guy is, is exciting to watch, whether he's on the mound or whether he's, you know, whether he's, you know, hitting in the box and you're not going to see it again. 
Yeah, and it, 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 there were teams that were speculated that might be in on Otani. Uh, Stacy's got the L.A. hat on, and, and I wouldn't be surprised if he winds up going across town playing with the Dodgers. What do you think? Well, Dodgers got the money, you know, do. and Dodgers, yeah. Dodgers, you know, you know, he's, he's looking at the Dodgers and he probably wants to stay in LA. You know, you're with the your angels now. Why, why pack up and move and go all the way across the country to say New York or something. New York would be another team that would be interested in having him on that roster, but you, you've been in LA. You, there's, there's a, there's a community there that, that has embraced him. He loves it out there, and all he has to do is just, you know, go what a couple of a couple of miles. Yeah. <laughs> he's, he's, you know, and he's still staying in L.A. So, I mean, that's that's the perfect scenario for him. Speaking of L.A., that's going to be one of our topics on uh, what are we watching. Brought to you by our friends at Bigger's Mazda. Their sizzling new Elgin location at Randall Road is the biggest Mazda store in the state of Illinois. Bigger's is offering a bottle of Stacy's signature hot sauce with first test drives of new or pre-owned vehicles. Everything from the coolest SUVs to the stunning Miata. Join the fun at 2100 Randall Road in Elgin at Bigger's Mazda. Tell them Whispers sent you, and you'll get a very funny look and be shown the door probably. I don't know. <laughs> no, tell them Francisco sent you. Oh, that's so right. Francisco, he's been there collecting yeah. hot, hot yeah, sauce. He's been, right? Yeah, he's been getting free hot sauce every week. <laughs> they see him walk through the door, and they're like, you again? Yeah, exactly. What car is he going to drive next week? Francisco. Free rides, courtesy of Jim Lecter at Bigger's Mazda. And I mentioned L.A. Stacy, uh, Tim and I were the first guys to start watching Winning Time, which is, Woo! you know, the dramedy based on the rise <laughs> of the Lakers under Jerry Buss. And you started watching uh, season one. What, what are your thoughts on it? Hey, listen, man. <laughs> it, it's a good show. Yeah. I don't care. I mean, I mean, I know it's there's some things in that show that's not true. You know, it's a little bit over, uh, you know, over, you know, just a little bit overboard. But there is a lot of that stuff that is true, you know. And I give uh, John C. Riley a lot of credit, man. Like he looks like he looks like you know he looks like uh, the owner. He does. He, he looks bad he hair looks and like everything. Jerry right? Buss, bad hair. <laughs> I tell you what, though, they could have got a better Pat Rod. Come on, man. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Come on. Hey, listen. I ain't taking anything away from the, the actor that's playing him, but the actor that's playing him right now looks like he's a drunk. It looks like he's been drunk. Pat Riley was a nice looking dude. Okay. Yeah. They could they could have got anybody. They could have got Jake Gillenhall to play to play Pat Riley. They could have got someone better, you know, better looking, uh, more, I mean, looks just like Pat Riley. Uh, I tell you what, man, that Pat Riley. I was, I'm just laughing. I want to call Pat up and say, man, you you might need to sue on that one. You know, everybody, everybody looks like there's somebody. I think the guy who looks like magic looks like magic. Yeah. That, that's well cast. How yeah. about the guy playing Jerry West in season one, they show him on the basketball court. He's about 50 pounds overweight. That, that's gotta be embarrassing for the logo. Hey, listen, listen, Jerry, Jerry West should be looking at that guy going, what the hell? Like now later, 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 he kind of resembles Jerry West later. Okay. But, but when he was winning the championship and he wasn't happy yeah. and he, he was just sitting there with that, he looked like he snuck on the floor, like as a fan. Yeah. And you know, another thing too, it's like, how about we get the guys' natural sizes? Okay, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar is like seven two, seven three. Yeah, Kareem they got on the show looks like he's about six seven. Like, you know, he doesn't look very, very tall. Uh, well, they always try to what, shoot up at him to make him look a little. Yeah, bit to make him look tall. Yeah. I tell you what, and I didn't know, I didn't know Jack McKinney, uh, you know, got had that yeah. bad of an accident. I did yeah. not know that, and I didn't know they made Paul uh, Westhead look like a, a egghead, like. I didn't know he was that in in the show. They make him look like he he's incompetent, like he shouldn't be there. He's a history teacher. He recites history poems. 
I played against Paul Westhead when he was at Loyola Marymount when Hake gathers in Bo Kimball. Yeah. And and his offense that he ran, where they were scoring 130, 140. And now you got to remember, Mark, my Oklahoma team put up a lot of points. We averaged over 103 points a game. So we were playing an NBA-style game. And that was the one team that we honestly said, we came to the sideline and we told Coach Billy Tubbs, like, hey, Coach, let's get out of this press, man. <laughs> we, we, can't run with, we can't run with these boys. Because yeah. they were – they were playing international rules. The ball would go through the net, and they they had a big guy named, I think it's Per Stumer or something. He's about a 6'10 kid. He would get the ball out the net because he was used to playing European ball. So he'd get it out the net, one step in, and then throw a full court uh, pass to Bo Kimball or Jeff Fryer. Uh, you know, Bo Kimball, I mean, they could shoot the basketball they were getting. You score two, they come back and shoot a three. And they put up some enormous numbers. So when I see Paul Westhead in that situation – and then I'm watching this winning time, how they have him look like he's incompetent. Nobody wants him there. Uh, you just go, wow, I didn't know that. Well, you know, when you, you follow the storyline in season one, you know, Jack McKinney wanted to be kind of a dictator. And I think yeah. he purposely brought in Westhead because he knew he was a guy, you know, from a small school. He wasn't going to rock the boat. He was going to do whatever Jack said. And then when Jack had the accident and he had to be the head coach, because back in those days, there was only one assistant. Yes. You know, he got elevated in a situation that he, he was he, he was in over his head. I mean, you have strong personalities like Kareem and Magic, and, and he couldn't handle it. Well, and, and they made Kareem look so, like, anti-team. Yeah. You know, like, he didn't want to be part of the team. You know, he never got into team huddles. He never, you know, when he, they'd be practicing, and they'd run up and down the court, he'd just go sit on the sideline or read a newspaper. Like it was just amazing how they how they made Kareem look like this guy that was a malcontent, you know. Then when you see Kareem later on, and that's the one thing that I really miss coming into this league because you know I grew up watching Kareem, Bird, Magic, Dr. J, you know, all these great players, Artis Gilmore. When I came in the league in '89, most of those guys were done; they were gone. Kareem was gone. You had Larry and and Mikhail and Parrish were at the end of their careers. You know, Larry was back was so bad he couldn't even sit on the bench. He had to, you know, lay yeah, on the floor. Yeah. Um, then you see Dr. J was gone. So I I missed playing against all these nostalgic players. You know, I would have just loved to be able to just rub elbows with, you know, with uh, Dr. J. Now, you know, I tell the story about Larry Bird, you know, when I first game going up against Larry Bird, where he's shooting like 10 feet behind the three-point line. And we had, you know, Phil had designed a defensive play with me and Horace to switch because they ran a down screen between Kevin McHale and Larry Bird. So we would switch because we were the same size. So he said, Stacey, when you switch out to Larry, deny him the ball and make him get as far past the three-point line as possible, which I did. So when I'm guarding Larry, my feet are actually on the three-point line. I'm on the three-point line, and I was quick. I mean, you, you're not going to beat me. He's not going to beat me off the dribble. So he's telling me, shot clock's winding down. He's telling me, hey, Rook, you going to give me the shot? And I'm like, shit, shoot it. You ain't going to do nothing with it. Man, you 35 feet away. You out about there. He's out there Denzel Valentine range at a hash mark. And I'm like, there's no way in the world you're going to take this shot. He goes, you know, if I take this shot and make it, you're coming out the game. And this is the Boston Garden. The crowd's going crazy. Shot clock's winding down. You hear Phil Jackson, get up on him. Get up on him. And I'm, I'm waving <laughs> Phil off like, shut up, man. I'm right here. I'm on the three-point line. What is he going to do? So then all of a sudden, it's like, you know, the shot clock's going down five. Four, and you know, that's when they used to count it down. So they're counting the three-point down. He just jumps up, squares up, shoots the ball from that hash mark on the side, right by the, by the score table, knocks it down. The crowd goes crazy. 
it's loud as hell in there, but I still hear Phil yelling, I told you to get up on him. You can hear Phil's <laughs> voice over. So I go down, I go down to the other end, the shock of the, 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 the horn buzz, you know, blows. And I knew someone's coming in for me. It was Scotty. Scotty's coming in for me. I'm looking around like, oh man. So as I'm going out, <laughs> as I'm going out, he said, I told you what I tell you. If I hit that shot, you was going out and go sit your little young ass down. So I walk <laughs> over to the bench and I'm mad because he's talking trash. He's talking trash. He was a no notorious trash talker. So I go sit down. He comes back in another play. He's sitting in the corner in front of our bench. And he said, Hey, Rook, guess what? Don't, don't, don't feel bad. I do your boy Pip like this all the time. <laughs> so, <laughs> so yeah, that's my Larry Bird story. I, I'm glad I got a chance to play against Mikhail and Bird, but I would have loved to go against Kareem and, and, and play, you know, been on the same court with them. Yeah. Uh, Dr. J, Moses Malone. I mean, it was just been great to, to go up against those so Daryl Dawkins, those kind of guys. You only, you only missed Artis Gilmore by a couple of years. Yeah, yeah. He was uh I think he was he was when I came in, he was with uh Boston, I think, and then that was probably the end of his you know. Yeah, he finished up in eighty eight and then he yeah, went so I'm, overseas yeah. for a couple of years. I missed him. I missed him. I yeah. mean, I, I would have loved I was a big fan of the A train. You know, yeah. when he was with the Chicago Bulls, all you remembered was, you know, he was a big dude, he was strong, he would just dunk on everybody. And he had that Coolidge Afro from the White Shadow. Yeah. He had that huge Afro, man. And, and he was fun to watch. And 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 you know what, Mark? And we to be honest, like, and I was we talking in the interview about this, he does not get the credit he deserves. You never hear his name mentioned as one of the best big men. It's always overlooked. You know, they're putting guys like Dikembe Matambo and all, and not, and I'm not, you know, taking anything away from Dikembe Matambo. But when you look at a guy who came in in the ABA, and I can read a list of every player that played there, there's Hall of Famers. There's at least 15 Hall of Famers from the ABA that, that transitioned to the NBA that was in the ABA. And so he wasn't playing against a bunch of firemen, as J.J. Reddick say, a bunch of, right. a bunch yeah. of bakers. Plumbers. Yeah, yeah, plumbers. He was playing against future Hall of Famers. He came in the same time as Dr. J did as a rookie. This guy came in in, in, in 75, he was the ABA Rookie of the Year and the ABA MVP. Yeah. How, how, how else could you not – that alone right there puts you in a different thing. And I think the NBA was so mad at the ABA because all those good players were over there. I think they, they, they uh, held a grudge against most of those – most players that came over. You're not going to be able to, to, to squelch the, the athletic ability of Dr. J. Dr. J was he, – he helped your league. Because that league was down at that time. Guys like Dr. J, Dan Issel, you know, uh, George McGinnis, uh, David Thompson, George Gervin. These guys are coming over. Maurice Lucas, who helped Portland win a championship. These guys are coming from the ABA. They infused talent and mm -hmm. showmanship to the NBA. Changed the whole way the NBA was playing. The NBA was boring because Boston was winning everything. No one could compete with Boston because Boston could buy all the good players. And they were winning all the championships. Now you got an infusion of talent. And think about the ABA teams that came over into the NBA. They transitioned. You had Indiana, you had Denver, and you had the Spurs. Those three teams were ABA teams. And the Nets were the four. And the Nets. Yes. And now, now they're the Brooklyn, the Brooklyn Nets. And I think Artis Gilmore still holds the record for the highest rebounding average in college at the NCAA level. He in his two years at Jacksonville, I was looking this up. He averaged 22 rebounds a game. You know, you don't see numbers like that in college anymore. And and and, and you know, and, and I'm you know, speaking of you know, he was talking about Steph Curry, and and when I saw this, I saw this quote the other day that you know, comparing Steph Curry and Magic Johnson, you know, and who's the best point guard, and you know, I think Steph Curry humbly said he was the best point guard, 
And and I I had to really disagree with that. There there's no comparison uh to to Magic Johnson. You can't compare yourself to Magic Johnson. The numbers, he's got more MVPs, got more titles, more finals appearances, uh more assists, you know. The three-point line separates, you know, Steph Curry from most anybody who played in the 90s and 80s. But, you know, he's 6'9", changed the game, revolutionized the game. And when you watch this winning time, uh, even though, again, it's been, you know, sometimes it's a little bit overblown, but the impact that Magic had on the game, I, oh, I go yeah. back to that 91 finals. You know, if, if Phil Jackson doesn't make a bold move and put Scottie Pippen on, on Magic Johnson – I don't know if they would have won. I don't think they would have won. I think the series would have went, you know, a little bit deeper. Um, but that that adjustment that we made, because Magic was killing us. Like, he was just too big. I mean, he's, you know, he could see the whole floor. Uh, the passes that he made were unbelievable. Just just control the tempo of the game. So that's why, that's why I say you can't put, you know, if you're Steph Curry, you can't put yourself in that category as being like the best point guard. Are you one of the best point guards to play? Yeah, you are. But to say you're, to say that, you are the best when guys like Oscar Robinson are lurking around. Come on now. No, nah, no. Nah. Yeah, and I, I saw something today on Twitter where somebody was mentioning the fact that, you know, even though Steph is technically the point guard, they don't really have a system where they run a point. You know, it's it's a motion kind of thing where they set screens and, you know, Draymond Green is a facilitator and Steph and Clay are shooters. Yeah, by size, he's a point guard, but he doesn't do all the things that, that old school traditional point guards do. And, and, you know, he doesn't have to defend. You know, they, they always put him on the, the weakest guy. You always see him moving around. Uh, he's gotten much better. But, you know, when you, 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 put, you put him in the, in the 90s era, okay, who's he going to guard? Who's he going to guard? Right, yeah, it'd be tough. You know, I mean, it'd be tough for him to guard anybody. And, you know, when they say compare that, that you know, that 72-win Bulls team against Golden State, and they go, oh, yeah, Golden State would have won because Kevin Durant, blah, blah, blah. No, they wouldn't have. The Bulls would have won that series because the Bulls would have won that series just based off of, uh, first of all, Dennis Rodman would have frustrated the hell out of Draymond Green. Let's just get that. Let's just start right there. It'd take him completely out of the game. That would have been fun so to it, watch. Yeah, so that that <laughs> he would have taken him completely out of the game, you know. And then you got the size of Michael Jordan, Ron Harper, and then Scottie Pippen across the board. They can switch everything. They're gonna go into the post against these smaller guards, even Clay Thompson. I mean, if Devin, if if uh, if Devin Booker can give you know give you numbers, if you're Clay Thompson, what do you think a, a prime Michael Jordan's gonna do? Oh yeah, yeah, no question. It's good discussion. It's good barbershop talk. What if? What if? Should have? Could have? That. But let's be real. You know, uh, you you can't be you can't you know you can't compare errors because it's impossible to place. But you know. Um, some of these great players, man, don't discredit them, man. Don't discredit these, some of these great players, man, just because, you know, they're older and the game has changed in three-point line. I'm saying they're playing against plumbers and all this other crap. Don't don't discredit these guys. Hey, before we get out of here, uh, I want to give you my pick on what are we watching, and I'm going to save you a little bit of time. Netflix has a film starring uh, Gal Gadot, Wonder Woman. She plays yes. like a, a female James Bond type trying to save oh. the world thing. There's some good action scenes in it, but the story's a, a little bit weak. You know, there's the heart refers to this computer system that controls the whole world, and she's trying to save mankind. Uh, you know, there, there's there's some things, reasons to watch, 
but but yes, not the yes, greatest yes. not the greatest <laughs> yeah. movie in the world. Hey, listen, you're not you're not watching it for the, no, the no. theater part of for it. For the plot. Yeah, the plot. You don't even know what the plot is. You're just watching Wonder Woman running around. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah, I watched it was the all right. movie. It's all right. I watched I watched a movie the other day, man, with uh, Jennifer Lawrence and she was um it's a new movie. I, I gotta remember the name of it, but she was she was uh trying to help this this young kid who's like he's, he's a brainiac and the parents wanted him to you know, get a little edge to him. And so it was the worst movie I'd ever seen. <laughs> it, it was, I was sitting there like the previews were better than the actual movie was. And yeah. then, you know, when that happens, you already know the movie sucks, but I, I forgot the name of it, but I'll come up with the next, the next show, but it was awful. It was, it was the worst two hours or however long it was that I spent, you know, watching that. It's terrible. See, we'll give you good stuff. And we'll also steer you away from stuff you want to waste your time on. Exactly. One thing you do want to take advantage of is our friends at Windy City Limousine. They provide championship service. Making a reservation is so easy, it's a slam dunk. Let Windy City break the full court pressure of traffic, get you to your destination in style and on time. Contact Windy City Limousine at 847-916-9300. You can ask for our good friend, Mike. Yes. Mike's getting some rest right now. He's he's resting his back. His back's been really uh, tight. So he's getting some time off while I'm recovering from hip surgery. So shout out to my boy Mike Almarab, baby. Got the he's got the <laughs> double mint twins taking care of him over there, baby. They cooking and cleaning for Mike. Well, we hope that uh, Stacy, you're you sounding great, looking good, and uh, hopefully you'll be back in studio real soon. Hopefully, Whispers finds his way back from Fort Myers. He'll probably have some excuse of what happened uh, next week. So we'll look forward to hearing. He'll be as red as a lobster. <laughs> yeah, Larry the lobster. Larry the lobster. And and a, sh- and a shout out to my son Eric and his fiance Mary. Getting married on Saturday, Stacy. Oh, a big wedding in Milwaukee. Oh, so uh, congratulations. Shout out to them. Uh, congratulations. We'll, have, we'll have some photos of the big festivities. Yes. So yes. We'll put it on the that. show. We'll put it on the show. Want to thank uh, Mark Grody for his Bears report, the A Train, the Hall of Famer, Artist Gilmore for joining us. Uh, thank the great Sriracha crew, D and Cisco doing yeoman duty here, spinning yeah. the dials, getting everything done. So we appreciate all their hard work and uh, a brand new show next week. we got a special guest. You want to tell the folks, Stacy, who's coming on next week? Is that Mr. Excitement? Mr. Excitement. We got Nate Robinson coming on yeah. next week. And, yeah, that's uh, going to be fun. Looking forward to it. It's going to be a lot of fun. All right. So make sure to join us for that. That's coming up next Thursday. As we told you last week, we're going to be shifting to Mondays. Uh, starting September 11th. But uh, for next week, the show again will be taped on Thursday. So for everybody here, we thank you so much. Stacey, you got some advice for the folks on the way out? Drive home safely, Chicago BD. There you go. See you next week, everybody.